This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of like-minded churches that are doctrinally aligned so that they can be missionally driven to plant and revitalize churches together. That doctrinal alignment comes around six DNA. They are committed to gospel proclamation, being Bible-based, to live expository preaching, to churches that are elder-led, confessionally baptistic, and kingdom-minded. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com, thepillarnetwork.com. Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Did y'all, so I mean, I would assume at Bethlehem, maybe I don't know uh, enough, but y'all would have two services. So would there be children's ministries running during both services? And if so, how would you right. actually dissuade parents from just coming to one service and then having their kids uh, go to the children's yeah. ministry stuff? And so in the early days of Bethlehem, we had two services with Sunday school in between. Okay. So they didn't have that, op- um, they didn't have that option. Right. Then we went to three services and did Sunday school during the second service. And then when we started campusing, we went back to two services and they kept Sunday school during the second service. And that's the way it's been at College Park. So, yes, parents have the option. And that's where my best strategy was to appeal. So I would try to find opportunities and we did different things different years but every chance i had i would say to parents if you have to choose between sending your child to sunday school or bringing them into corporate worship um if you have to choose between those two very good things bring them into worship i think the long term benefit to our children being in worship surpasses the benefit of them growing up in Sunday school using 278 curriculum, which we are pretty (laughs) excited about, pretty passionate about. But I'd say as good as that curriculum may be, I say, if you have to choose, choose worship. And if parents understand that, then you're really Mm. challenging them. For, For some parents, it was, you know, they're one service people and they don't want to stay more than I had one dad say, do you mean, are are you saying that you would want us to go to, for two hours yeah. <laughs> morning? And so that's, but that's the spirit of it. Uh, and I, I want to make sure to get from you the links to some of these uh, little booklets and things like that. So pastors, we, we'll probably put it in the description of the podcast so that okay. people can um, can find those. It's funny enough talking about two services is where like Mark Dever would say, this is why you can only have one service. Um, but right. <laughs> right. let me ask a question though. And then I want to do, I do want to ask some questions around baptism, but did y'all at Bethlehem or college park, I'm, I would assume again, and I don't want to do that um, too much, but there would be maybe outside of the, what would be typically the Sunday morning service, would there be kind of age targeted ministries? So would there be a, time for youth to gather together, uh, children to gather, middle schoolers? And what would that time look like? How, how did y'all kind of use that time, and how would Truth 78 recommend using that time for intentional discipleship? Yeah, so we, well, we, we called it 
on Sunday morning, it was Sunday school. Okay. And so that was age targeted. We had, we were big enough that we could have for every grade level, their own classroom. Mm -hmm. They had a curriculum assigned to that. And the format was, um, so a large, so typical class in both settings where it's probably 35 to 50 kids per grade at college park. We had one, our kindergarten class was over 80, but typical format was a large group teaching time. We would use our best teachers to communicate. That's about a 30 minute time, the the core lesson material. And then there's a small group time where we would recruit staff who would be small group leaders and they would be responsible for a 20 to 30 minute application time. Mm -hmm. They would have the same kids every week and their job was not only to help take the truth that was just taught, reinforce it and apply it, but also that teacher was committed to praying for that child, Mm -hmm. the faith of that child, connecting with the parents. Um, And then there was always a worship. Every classroom had its own worship leader. And our goal was really to help children learn how to worship. In fact, preparation for Sunday morning was Mm, done in that worship. So teaching children to engage with God. We would have a Wednesday night program as well. Both churches, that was more application. Again, similar teaching time. And then our our youth would have not only teaching, but more in kind of a traditional youth format activities and socials and that kind would of Would they do kind of youth camp and getaways, um, things like that during the year? Yeah. In fact, we at Bethlehem, we ran our own summer camp for younger children. We, do, we took a week and provided that for younger children. Youth would do youth retreats, spring, fall. They do summer activities. And yeah, yeah so it was some, some of the typical, church. yeah, typical churches. Right. You know, then it, uh, one more question in this vein. So it's, it feels like having conversations with guys that have done youth ministry for a long time. And it feels like maybe now more than ever, there's so many extracurricular things that children and, and youth are involved in sports, uh, you know, music, uh, dance, ballet, all all sorts of extracurricular activities. And so they're finding it increasingly hard to have youth get together twice a week. What's some encouragement you would give to pastors and parents when it comes to to those unique challenges? Well, that's another really good and helpful question. So I think dealing with that problem uh, I think begins with the parents and it needs to begin really early in a parent's experience. So I would say, so we, we do child de- dedications at our church and both churches and preparing parents for the dedication of their children require them coming to a three hour seminar. And one of the issues we deal with is trying to influence the way parents are thinking about their priorities for their children. Mm. You know, what does it profit a child 
to be a football pro and lose his soul? Mm. What does it profit to be an accomplished musician mm. and go to a Ivy League school and lose his soul? Mm. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Right. <laughs> so I think a lot of parents just kind of get caught up in all the positive activities. Of course, there's great benefits to being involved in sports and various other activities. But I've, I've seen too many parents become so devoted to that and wanting their children to be so involved in those things that um, that the things of faith become secondary. Yeah. You know, so that, so I think it needs to start there because the youth pastors are dealing with, in part, they've got the kids, but they've also got parent expectations that they're trying to manage. And I would just say, if, we forfeited one of those youth gatherings mm. for parents to be more engaged in the discipleship of their children at home mm. and that we could somehow design youth ministry that would really encourage that and discourage this mindset that we're just dropping our kids off for their spiritual instruction so that when they're at home, we don't have to spend time doing that. I would rather yeah, that makes sense. see youth ministry diminish and you know, similarly along the lines of what Alistair said about not having them, you know, on this this thought about extracurricular activities that kind of drowns out uh, church type things, church type ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even an like I've heard of, I can't remember who I heard say this, but implicitly you you're, you could be teaching your kids. You're not doing it explicitly, but implicitly you could be teaching your kids that gathering with the church is not that big a deal, uh, and that other things are more important things. So I know I know that's a burden, and 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 I don't want to be legalistic on that and so forth. Some of these things are commanded in the scriptures, other things are not. Um, but there are some things that are very clear about how we relate to the local church uh, and what the, the life of the believer in in uh, in concert with and even in identity with the local church. Uh, there's plenty of things the scriptures say about that, and I think that we need to think more about. Um, I want to ask a couple more questions, and then I'll get you out of here. But uh, baptism is a big question among the, the guys I talk to. So age of baptism, in fact, my youngest brother's doing his PhD right now in systematic theology and is actually going to probably tackle the, the, the question of age of baptism. Uh, but in your experience, kind of what is it y'all? Ha- so one, at what age did you kind of feel comfortable baptizing children who were professing believers? What cautions would you give? And even what would the processes and counseling look like with both the child and the parents as y'all work through those topics of, of baptizing a child? That's a great question. And uh, so the short answer is personally, I would not, I would not baptize anyone younger than 11 at Bethlehem. I was able to succeed. And I think pretty much at college park, um, in in getting the church to commit to not um, baptizing children younger than eleven, okay. and why I think le- eleven. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I think that's really pushing okay. it. And it's one of the more controversial things that we have to deal with. Okay, and 
I think a lot of it is what is your expectation? Um, so if, and then you have to reckon biblically as well. So what, what is the requirement for baptizing? So um, mere profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if that's mainly what you're expecting, then four years old, five years old, mm. as soon as they can talk and say, yes, I am trusting Jesus mm. Christ, let's baptize them. And so that's, yep. you have to be, be, help people understand, okay, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? And, um, and I think the other dynamic that's at work is parents, Christian parents, are especially, and rightly so, care about the faith of their children. They want them to be believers, and they want to them to trust Jesus as their Savior at a young age. How many times do we pray at a very early right. age? And, and so, and baptism, in some context, means that's the seal, almost, of, okay, my child is now a believer, so let's get as soon as they want to be baptized, let's not hold them back. Let's because then we can sort of relax and feel okay that they're they're in. And I think in some churches, there's such an emphasis on getting people baptized, and so the numbers rise. I mean, you can get a lot of t- so if, if that numbers of baptisms yep. really is one of your criteria, mm. then then of course there's going to be pressure to give mm. the benefit of the doubt in a situation like that. So that's that's part of the the challenges and what makes it somewhat controversial. And to to deny a child, a four year old who says, I want to be baptized because I trust in Jesus, it's like refusing the kingdom to them, right? right? And so I get the emotions. Um so what I try to talk about is, number one, um, I want this to be a time that a child will remember and will be significant. And when you think about the experiences that you have at five or six or seven, so that experience I had of accepting Jesus into my heart at age seven, I really don't know what was going on in my heart. Mm. I don't know if I was just feeling pressure in the moment or if I was in trouble with my mom and wanted to, I knew she really wanted us to do this. So (laughs) am I I just had, I had no clue where my heart was because I was just young. And just even the development of my brain was not to the place where I could form Mm. convictions. And so and I think a lot of young children walk through the waters either because they see somebody else do it and want to do it mm. or because they know it'll make mommy happy and daddy happy. So, so I wanted to be old enough. And I've just said, you know, I look back on age 11, 12, 13. That's what's where I began just even in the area of sin. Okay. I'm much more conscious of sins I committed at 11, 12, 13 in that range and still feel a conscience and guilt about some of Mm. those things. 
much more. I'm I'm sure I was sinning all over the place at seven years old, but I was just <laughs> not aware of that. So that tells me let's let's wait until there's more awareness of their depravity mm. and their need for the gospel. Mm. Um, I want I want every child I baptize to have a robust understanding of the gospel. Just about any kid from five years of age and up growing up in the church and in the Christian home right. will know that Jesus died for their sins. Yep. And they will know some form of they need to ask Jesus into their heart and they need to believe that Jesus died for their sins. Mm-hmm. So I get into these baptism interviews and you ask them, what is the meaning of the gospel? Well, Jesus died for my sins. How do you attain the benefit of what Jesus did? Well, I need to ask him into my heart. Well, why is sin a problem? And I get this deer in the headlights look. Or how does Jesus' death solve my sin problem? And what is it exactly that helps me lay claim? And most eight-year-olds can't process right. that. Most 11-year-olds have yeah. <laughs> trouble <laughs> processing but at least an 11, 12, 13-year-old in that range, they're cognitively, they're able to process that and understand it. So, so in some sense, 11, 12, 13 is arbitrary, uh, but in, in line with, hey, this can be a time when at least there's more awareness, more understanding, more even chance later in life for reflection on what took place? Yeah, and pastorally, I just know... If if they're younger, I'm going to have to be put in the situation more often than not to go to a parent and say, I don't think your child's ready. I'm not even sure. I, I can't be sure they're a believer. Yeah. And it puts you in this tense relationship. Sure. And I don't like being there. So <laughs> yeah. I just say, yeah, there's just so I just say, I really don't want to yeah. even consider this. And then you got to dis- disappoint the child. They're moving yeah. toward baptism. And then you have to say, you know, I really don't think you're ready. Yeah. You said, uh, what are we kind of aiming at, mere profession? What, in your estimation, what are we aiming at as we think through whether we would baptize or not? Well, so uh, we, we wrote another little booklet called Established in the Faith. Yep. It, it actually began um, as uh, under the title uh, Preparing Young People for Baptism. And so the way that's laid out. Uh, and does that have things in there like y'all would interview the child and maybe even interview the parents? Does it have processes of what y'all would do in the baptism uh, interviews? So um, the answer is yes and no. So I'm actually working on a booklet right now called A Pastor's Guide to child dedications and youth baptisms okay. in the church, okay, where it's going to have all that yeah. practical thing. I hope that will be done by the end of the year. Right. So this, this booklet is really, so the way we approach it is um, the first step. If your child, or if you want to explore with your child baptism, the first step is to prepare the parents to lead their child through what is often done in the church is kind of a baptism class Mm -hmm. for kids. Mm -hmm. So part of that's the philosophy 
of ministry where I want to support parents yeah. in what I think is their role, and particularly dads, the spiritual leader in the home. I want to put dad in the situation and where he's discerning, is my child ready for baptism? And then I want to give him a tool to help him discern. And so really, this we retitled it Established in the Faith because a big part of baptism preparation is discerning, is my child a believer or not? And so this, this tool helps a parent, whether a child's been baptized or not, Somewhere along the way, when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, I mean, we see behaviors in them sometimes that would raise questions. Right. Are they truly born again? They have no appetite for the Word of God. They have no interest in spiritual things. Baptized or not, raising a hand in Sunday school or not, Yeah, you'd want to think about, are they really a believer? Right. This This tool that we created helps you discern mm. that. And that's, so that's one one part of this process that we, so we put together like six we envision like six meetings that a dad would have okay. or a mom and dad mm. would have with a child and it's good the first step or one of the first early steps is to make sure they understand the gospel and so this child this dad mom has a chance to re- rehearse help that child understand not only what Jesus did, yeah. how, how his death. So, so those deeper questions. Right. And it's also an opportunity. The reason why is I love just parents doing this is because it's an opportunity. And we encourage parents to share how Christ became yep. significant for you. Talk about the transformation that the gospel had in your life. Talk about what the gospel yep. is. And, and so that would be a first step. Another key step is um, uh, is how do you, what is it that assures you of your salvation? How do, how do you know, how can you tell if you're truly a believer or not? And part of that's right out of my own experience growing up where I raised my hand at seven years and I struggled with assurance. Mm my whole life growing up. I went, I walked more aisles and raised my hand more times because I just wasn't sure. sure. And I, I just, at this age, it's just so important to help. Okay. What is it? Mm. Where is my assurance mm. lie? And so we walk through what, you know, can you lose your salvation? Can we um, just, well, how's all that work? What is the evidence of faith in my life? Yeah. And and that's an opportunity for parents then to point to a child and say, here's the evidence that I've seen mm-hmm. in your life that you're truly. So it can be a time of encouragement. So walking through that and there's, mm. you know, more, we actually create in that process a time where uh, we, we used to call it driving in the stake, but um, uh, that's, that had, two weird connotations, (laughs) but it was just like, I'm staking my claim, but it was, it was a moment where parent and child could, where we bring that child to asking them the questions that we're going to ask them in baptism. Mm. I've, I've told parents, I don't want to wait till that child is three feet into water 
for them to answer this question. I want to answer the question now when there's freedom to say no. And so it's it's a formal part in this preparation process where you look that child in the eye and and you tell them, these are the questions I'm going to ask you. Say yes if you mean yes, but don't say yes if you mean no. Are you now trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? And I've made sure they understand what that, all that's behind that question. And they respond to dad, I do, or no. And, and we've had dads or we've had kids at that moment say no. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Which they wouldn't say if they were three feet into the water. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that I think that's such a big topic is, I mean, the church I helped uh, plant, I, 50% of the baptisms we did of adults, I would say 50% were people who said, I got baptized at six, I got baptized at seven. There's no way I knew what I was doing. There's no way I was a Christian. Um, and so it's right. so when we would meet, so we'd actually would interview the kid and interview the parents. We would always say, there's no harm in waiting. There's a lot of harm in, right. in moving forward. Uh, and this doesn't mean whether they're regenerate or not. Doesn't mean whether they're a Christian or not. We have to right. be very clear. This is not. Um, we're not pronouncing that. Like we're not changing their spiritual state. But as the church, we are making a very significant spiritual pronouncement upon them. And so we just want to be very cautious. And most of the time, I mean, very rarely do we have a parent get mad about that. Is for the most part they yeah. they understand. Especially when you explain, hey, fifty percent of the ones we have done right. have been uh, in this case. Well. Hey, I, I want to get some of those resources. I want to put them in the description. I think this is really, really helpful. I just get you out of here on this question. How can they find out more about Truth Seventy Eight and any kind of final encouragements you have uh, for pastors, leaders when it comes to next generation dis- discipleship? Well, Truth Seventy Eight. You know, our mission is to um, to equip, to inspire, and equip the church and the home for the discipleship of the next generation. So we care about discipleship of children, not so much about running programs for children. And we want to inspire a vision for discipleship in the church and to equip church and home. But our path to equipping the home is really through the church. So we really want to equip pastors, ministry leaders in the church Mm. to equip the home We don't want to do an end run around the church. And so that's what we're about. And so the resources, like some of these that I've mentioned, they're really tools to be used in the church for equipping equipping the home. And all of those you can see, you can see all of our curriculum, all of our resources on www.true78.org. Well, David, I've been, you know, getting to know you probably over the last year and a half, maybe a little bit more than that, but been very thankful for Truth78. In fact, at the church we planted, we used Children Desiring God um, back, I mean, years ago, and uh, so thankful for your ministry. Thanks for taking time to talk through some important topics with us. Anytime. I'd be delighted. Awesome. So this has been great. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, baptist21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.